Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode seven of Aussie Talks. Today, we've got a very action-packed episode. We're going to be looking at the state of Australian soccer. I just witnessed a 2-0 loss to Japan, and I am fuming. I'm also going to speak about how the recent Ashbardi retirement, how she could go down as one of the greatest Australian icons when it comes to sport and what the future may look like for her. I'm also going to have a My Top 3 segment where I'm looking at the best AFL players I've seen. I'm going to speak about Anthony Albanese, how he cannot be Prime Minister, how he's acted with these bullying allegations. I've got my 60-second round. I've got my big call. There's a lot to get through. So without further ado, let's hop into our first segment, the whole Ash Barty uh, shock retirement. Ash Barty is the Australian Open champion. As you can hear from that short audio piece there, that was when Ash Barty sensationally won the Australian Open, making it the first Australian uh, to win the Australian Open in something like 30, 35 years. And it really was a special moment. And in hindsight, there's no better way to sign off your career. Now, I was sitting in class and the notification came through. and I was shocked. I could not believe it. She's only 25. She hasn't even reached her peak yet. She's number one in the world. She's won three Grand Slams, I believe. Over $25 million in prize money, so she can do whatever the hell she wants. But she is going to go down whatever she does. You know, there's rumors that she could go play golf, go back to cricket. Um, regardless of what she does, she's going to go down as an Australian icon when it comes to tennis. With what has happened to Australian tennis, with the likes of Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios being uh, the representation uh, over the last sort of five, six years um, for Australian tennis, Ash Barty came through the ranks um, and, you know, world number one as an Australian. It's it's something that's pe- brought people to tennis. Uh, I've never seen people so excited for the um, recent Australian Open where she came through and absolutely delivered and just completely demolished her opponent. In that second set, she was down five games to two, came back, rallied, incredible. And there's no better way to go out. And I wish her a, the absolute best on what she does for a future of her career. Um, one of my mates wasn't very happy saying uh, he said to me a couple of things, but uh, he's a very hard man to please. But he sort of spoke about how it's not great for people to retire before they reach their peak. But she's earned the right to do whatever the hell she wants. Um, for those who remember last week's episode, though, I don't want her to come back to tennis because once you're retired, you stay retired. Um, that is my principle on that. But what is she going to be remembered as? Like, in a tennis sense, she, I don't know, in terms of women's tennis, I don't know enough. Obviously, Margaret Court has won the most ever. Serena Williams. Ash Barty on her day, Ash Barty at her best, was the best tennis player in the world. And that showed with her number one ranking that she held um, for such a long uh, time, winning Wimbledon, winning the French Open, winning the Australian Open, just uh, just complete class um, from her. And, uh, yeah, she's going to go down as, as probably, I don't know, an Australian icon when it comes to tennis, probably the second greatest female tennis player that is Australian. Um, and, yeah, let, let's see what she does next. She'll probably go win a, a PGA or LPGA uh, tour by the age of 30 um, and then maybe tip her hat in AFLW or whatever. Um, looks like she loves a beer as well, although she cops some criticism when she won the Australian Open for that. But uh, an icon of Australian sport. Well done, Ash Barty, and uh, good luck with whatever you do next. (laughs) 
I want to do a quick little segment on a sport that I absolutely love and I have spoken about on this podcast before with the likes of Dex and Jaden in episode four. F1 started uh, over the past weekend. We got another race in Saudi Arabia. Um, shouldn't be racing in Saudi Arabia, but that's not what I'm talking about. I just want to have a quick thoughts in that first F1 race. What's happened to McLaren? I'm watching this at 2.30 in the morning. Australian time, Australian Eastern Standard Time, and I'm like, oh my goodness, Ricardo is 18th, Norris is 15th. McLaren's my favourite uh, favorite team by a comfortable margin. And I was like, oh my goodness gracious, is this what it's going to be like? There's always, always going to be a team with the regulations that just went to shit. There's going to be teams that take off and go to shit. Haas, look like they've nailed it. McLaren, no, they just built themselves up. I only came into F1 in 2020, so I don't have a big sample size. But I know McLaren, they're at the bottom, and they built their way up through those 2010s. Last year, they got a 1-2. They were the only team to get a 1-2 throughout the whole season. And then the first race back, we have this. I don't want to overreact too much, but I'm getting nervous. I've just felt so sick. It was a very good race. Well done to Leclerc. Uh, get your reliability sorted out, uh, Red Bull. But... McLaren, please, I'm not doing this for the whole season because they'll get Ricardo out. And then we got no Aussies because Piastri's going to get screwed out of a seat again. I've almost lost hope for him. But McLaren, come on, get your shit together. Get it sorted. Come on. All right, it is now time for my top three. Now, this segment uh, I wasn't planning on doing, but I had to do this after this was said by a former um, St Kilda player, Lee Montagna. I believe this was said last night. And you wanted to make the case for Buddy as as the greatest of all time. I think we have to. I, I think we have to make a case that he is the greatest of all time and certainly absolutely in that conversation. This is our, this is our LeBron James, Michael Jordan moment. Is Buddy Franklin every bit, if not better, than Wayne Carey. So for this segment of top three, I want to look at the uh, best three players I've seen in my lifetime. So like probably uh, in terms of an AFL sense, post-2010. Uh, I remember bits and pieces of 2010, bits and pieces of 2009. Uh, and you'll see where I rank Buddy because saying he's the GOAT is delusional um, and just shocking. But uh, number three, I've got Dustin Martin. Sure, he's got an exaggerated resume. Should not have won the 2017 Norm Smith. That should have been uh, Basha Hooley. Should not have won the State of Origin medal uh, where he had like 18, 19 touches and they still gave it to him. Um, And there's an argument maybe he shouldn't have won the 2019 Norm Smith. Either way, his X Factor is unmatched. It's the best uh, player I've seen in finals with the exception of one final, the 2018 uh, prelim. He's always turned up and he's you know, the main reason Richmond have had so much success. Um, for the sake of the AFL, it looks like Richmond's success could be uh, could be gone in their dynasty. But either way, uh, when Dusty's on the field, you know that you're going to see something special every single time. You can't shut him down. He's don't argue. He's iconic. And he's going to go down um, as arguably the greatest finals uh, performer. And, you know, having him ranked three on this list may not match up, but he's had a, uh, a down year, um, a couple of... Um, well, I had a semi-down year last year um, and throughout the regular season, past few years, he struggled a bit more, but he performed in finals, uh, which, you know, that's where it really counts. Number two is Buddy Franklin. No, he's not the GOAT. He's a top 10 forward of all time, and I'd say he's right at the end of that top 10 list. Uh, he's not better than Tony Lockett, not better than Jason Dunstall, not better than Wayne Carey, not better than Ted Witten, not better than John Coleman. Uh, I could keep going, not better than... Uh, there's, there's a lot. I reckon I could keep going uh, if you gave me a list, but... 
his ability, he's the best forward I've seen. His ability to mark the footy, swing onto his left and kick one from 65 metres out is unmatched. Uh, and that's something that we're going to miss when he retires. Hopefully he gets his 1,000th goal um, pretty soon. That'll be the last time it happens in the AFL, by the way, um, with the game changing the way it has. Um, no one's going to compare to him. It's very, his athleticism, his ability to mark the footy and go up and take a pack mark. Uh Probably what hasn't got in number one in this list is his finals performance, or more specifically, grand final uh, with Sydney. Paid him $9 million, and they didn't get a grand final win out of him. So that is uh, probably the one criticism I have on, have on him. And this is why uh, Gary Ablett is number one on my list. His raw skill. Uh, nothing's going to beat, or it's going to be very tough to beat his raw skill um, from what I've seen. He is, uh, when he retired... In that 2020 grand final, obviously he was a shell of his former self. He had the the dislocated shoulder or the, the separated shoulder, something like that, uh, to carry on. And you know he played a role. Uh, unfortunately for for Geelong fans, they lost, um, and I burst out laughing. But um, yeah, he was uh, he was a very special player. Uh, when he played with Gold Coast, um, and if he had to stay with Geelong, I reckon they would have won three or three flags throughout the 2010s and would have probably challenged that Hawthorne dynasty a bit more. Um, when he left to Gold Coast, every time he stepped on the ground, he was the best player. From about, I want to say, maybe 2011 to 2014, he was the best player in the comp. Uh, forget the Brownlow medals through there, he was the best player in the comp. Um, you know, he, he performs in finals uh, when given the opportunity. Uh, raw skill, nothing beats it. He's a match winner. Uh, so that's my top three. And Lee Montagna, you really need to go a look back through history because Buddy Franklin is not the GOAT, mate. <laughs> No, come on, man. You're a former St Kilda player. You know, I love you, but he's not the go, mate. Come on. Now, this segment here may piss off uh, some of my listeners, but I feel like it's something that is incredibly important, and I know that my listeners are um, of a younger demographic, but I know a lot of them are going to be voting for the first time in the upcoming federal election. I think this is something you really need to consider when heading to the ballot box. I myself can't vote, but I feel like this is something that's incredibly important. Now, I think two and a half weeks ago, um, or maybe even three weeks ago now, uh, Kimberly Kitchen, a uh, Victorian Labor senator, died of a uh, heart attack it was uh, a very shocking thing. She um, sort of stood against the uh, wokeness in the in the uh, Senate for Labor, um, and was regarded as a pretty good moderate when it came on on key issues. Um, she was under a lot of stress when she had her heart attack. She was seeing her pre-selection um, under threat. And obviously these bullying accusations um, towards Penny Wong and other members of the senior uh, Labor Senate team. Now, I'm going to say this as politely as I can, but Albo, where have you gone? Right now, the Albanese policy um, and way of dealing with this is like when you're playing peekaboo with a child and you both cover up your eyes and then you run away because he's gone into hiding. And this is something you need to consider when you're heading to the ballot box. This is a crisis with his own party. He's refused to do an investigation into his own party, into these bullying accusations, which stress, and, you know, I'm not drawing lines, but I'm telling you facts. Excessive stress links to heart attacks. It's a simple fact. I'm not saying that Kimberly Kitching died specifically of the bullying and the stress she had because of her pre-selection. I'm telling you a fact that stress leads can lead to a heart attack or other health concerns. 
there's bullying accusations. This is an Anthony Albanese who have come out and absolutely bagged the coalition for the way that they have treated inner uh, conflicts like Christian Porter and that sort of stuff. And he can do that. That's the leader of the opposition. It's politics. And the coalition have been pretty average when it comes to this sort of stuff. And it's probably going to cost them the election. But... This happens to Albo, and he all of a sudden thinks he can get off scot-free. He's gone missing. A question you need to all ask yourself, listeners. If he goes missing on an internal conflict with his own party, in the grand scheme of things, what is he going to do? Let's say when he becomes prime minister, if he becomes prime minister uh, in the upcoming federal election, let's say China invades Taiwan. Let's say China uh, starts putting in our uh, submarines into our waters in the South China Sea. What's he going to do? Is he going to go missing again? If he goes missing on internal conflicts within his party of bullying accusations through senior members uh, of the party, through Penny Wong, through uh, all these different Christina Keneally, uh, those sort of Labor uh, members, what's he going to do if there's a serious crisis? Because there always is. Is he going to go missing? You can't have a leader go missing. And this is something you need to ask yourself. Do you want a leader who goes missing? Now, ScoMo, I'm going to put my hand up right here. ScoMo, when it comes to crisis, has not been good. He was in Hawaii at the time of the fire and came back too late. He took a he took probably two days late to create a uh, national emergency for the floods. But he's been there, and I will say that he has been there to a point. And he's you know, but this is an internal conflict by an opposition leader who has lost 17 kilos, tried to make over. You know, there's a clip of him actually bagging John Howard for doing the same thing, but he's doing it. It just shows the hypocrisy in politics. But this is where, if you're a voter, you need to consider your vote going, all right, if we have a crisis, if China invades Taiwan, which is going to happen, if we have trade tensions, if this Russia thing continues to, you know, they use chemical weapons, what's Albo going to do? Is he going to go running? Because there's nothing to hide behind when you're prime minister. You need somebody and you need defence ministers and you need senior ministers who back you and you need senior ministers and the leader to stand for something. It's pretty hard when your own party potentially, through the stress and bullying they have caused to a senator, has caused her to die. Now, this is all allegedly, but these bullying accusations, there's several cases of it. A former Labor MP has actually came out and said that there's going to be bullying. There was bullying by these uh, people. And this just, this just, you know, this may not be a very uniting thing to say, but this is just the woke left. Whenever it, something happens to them, they go, oh, they shove it under the rug. Go, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's a bullying. If, if this happened to Liberal, can you imagine the stories? It's just ridiculous, man. It's the hypocrisy of this Labor Party and this Labor opposition. Now, this can be my bias here, but whatever. My question, where will Albo go if a crisis occurs? Something to ask yourself when you walk into the ballot box in about two months' time. So, consider it. Do you want a leader who runs away from internal conflicts and has a record of doing so? Or do you want someone who's been in the job for a bit longer and knows the experience. It's up to you. All right, it is now time for 60 Second Rant. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. All right, this is probably my most passionate 60 Second Rant. I don't know what's going to come out. For those of you who don't know, I don't re-record these. These are just what comes out within the first 60 seconds. Now, the topic I'm going to be discussing is the match review panel in the AFL. For those of you who haven't seen, uh, Willa Rioli got off uh, nearly killing uh, Matty Rao by 
looking directly at him um, and the AFL don't have the guts to uh, challenge the tribunal. So I'm going to have 60 seconds on the clock. I'm going to do my best to remain calm. I cannot cannot, uh, guarantee anything, but the 60 seconds has started now. The match review panel is the biggest joke in the history of Australian sport. Every single season, there's about 10 cases where the match review panel just gets it so wrong. Go and have a look at the footage. Willie Rioli just goes straight into Matty Rao, and it's nothing. Mitch Robinson gets pushed into the bloke, and he gets awake. What the hell? It, it is the biggest joke in Australian sport. The fact that the AFL, the most played sport or second most played sport in Australia, has this as the match review panel. Honestly, do a social media poll instead because at least those people are intellectual. The people who are in charge of the match review panel and tribunal clearly do not understand football. I'm no good at football myself, but I love the game. I love to watch it. I'm looking at that. I remember watching it. He's getting it two weeks. He's not looking at the ball. Actually understand what happens here, match review panel, because it happens every season. Happens with Basher when he knocks a bloke out. Happens off the plays. Happened for years. Get your shit together, match review panel, because you're number one sport in Australia and you're an absolute disgrace. Disgrace. There's 60 seconds. All right, it is now time for the fan favourite, Jordan's Big Call. Now, before I make another big call that makes me look like I have no idea when it comes to these sort of stuff, I must say I'm now 0 for 3 when it comes to big calls. I made a really uh, misinformed uh, big call saying that Australia will win 2-1 against Pakistan. Uh, I perhaps underestimated the Pakistani cricket board's uh, ability to make uh, arguably the most boring test series uh, that I've watched ever, uh, the flattest wickets ever. And, uh, well... It's currently going into day five. We need 10 wickets to win. So hopefully the last day will provide a bit of entertainment, but it uh, hasn't been great. I also have to say that Dex, and I know you're listening, mate, you are now 0 for 1 uh, when it comes to your big calls. You made the big call um, that the East Doncaster Cricket Club 2s and the under-18s would win, um, and I think the less said about that, the better. But either way... It is time for another big call, and my big call relates back to the NBA. That is that the Memphis Grizzlies are going to make, at minimum, at minimum, the Western Conference Finals. Might not be a big call um, with how they're playing at the moment, but they're a young team. A lot of ESPN articles that I've been reading saying they're peaking uh, earlier in years than where they thought, but yeah, we'll make the Western Conference Finals as a minimum. Uh, I can see them potentially winning the whole thing, but I wanted to go with a big call that actually makes me look like I have some idea, uh, considering my record is 0 of 3 right now. But uh, yeah, that's my big call, that Memphis Grizzlies will make the Western Conference Finals and potentially go on. Are you sure? I'm trying to do one that. 4-2. 4-2. He wins it John. Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He scores! Australia have got it! Come on! John Aloisi, the Confederations Cup hero. Now, it is time for the segment that I've saved for the very end. I've got pent-up anger. I'm mad. Now, I could have saved this for a 60-second rant. I could have made it really easy on myself. But I couldn't limit what was a disgraceful performance to only 60 seconds. This is a segment here that I'm going to be speaking on the state of Australian soccer. Now, I won't lie. My soccer knowledge ability is rubbish. I go for Liverpool in the Premier League. 
I understand it to a certain degree. So I'm not going to stand here and say like I know better than Graham Arnold. I'm not going to stand here and say that Graham Arnold can't coach. I'm just going to say that he can't coach in an international sense. In the politest way possible, you are an international coaching fraud. You've done it domestically, but you can't coach internationally. You coached Australia after the 2006 World Cup and had a winning percentage of about 30%. I wonder why you got the arse. Then for some reason, they bring him back because let's reward failure. It's almost like a brilliant motto. It's a reason why Australian soccer uh, isn't going the way it is now. I can't complain too much. I've grown up in an era of Australian soccer where we've had success. We've won the Asian Cup. We've qualified for every World Cup since 2006. We just lost to Japan 2-0 at home. The team was undermanned. You know, there are excuses to this. But we lost at home to Japan in a must-win game for automatic qualification. I'm telling you right now, we are not making this World Cup. It is going to be the first World Cup since 2002 that the Australian Socceroos national team will not be in the World Cup. And there is several people to blame for this, and one is Graham Arnold. You can't coach. Go have a look at the under-21s Olympics in uh, the soccer. We beat Argentina 2-0, I believe. Yeah, 2-0 in the first game of the group stage. I remember watching it. It's like, geez, we're on here. This is the number three team of the world at the time, Argentina. We lost to Brazil. I think it was 1 or 2-0 in the end. Uh, Had to park the the bus. Uh, They were the best team. You know, I didn't like it personally, but that's fine. Then it comes to the final game of the group. You win... Or you draw, even and other results go your way, uh, you're in. So what does Graham Arnold do? He plays the most defensive game style I have ever seen. And it doesn't get us in. So what happens to Australia today? We can't score. We sit back. It's absolutely dog water, man. It's dog water. We played Egypt in the last game and lost 2-0 in the uh, Olympics. And today we lose 2-0 to Japan. We can't score. Let's go have a look at the squad from today. Matt Ryan's the only notable name. I miss the days of Tim Cahill. I miss the days of Archie Thompson. I miss the days of Robbie Cruz. I miss the days of Millet Yadanak. I miss the days of when Aaron Moy was in his peak. The state of Australian soccer is broken. The FFA need to get their shit together. And that's been the, that's what I've said basically all podcasts when it comes to these uh, all these segments. But they need to get their shit together. Because right now, we are, I'm telling you right now, we will not make the World Cup. The progression of Australian soccer is in the bin. We keep changing the coach. Ange Postacoglu, is there any way we can get him back? Because he played the Australian way. You know what the Australian way is? It's having a crack. You are not good enough. We never will be good enough. But it's having a fair dinkum crack and play for the win. Graham Arnold does not play for the win. He plays for the draw. He plays a European style of football in Australian international soccer does not work and does not win over the people. All you got to do is look on social media right now. Graham Arnold's getting blasted as he should because like I said before, he's an international coaching fraud. He's failed before, so what do we do? We give him another chance. Like, play the Australian way. The Australian way, you get some dirt under your fingernails, you work hard, you bump into blokes, you make it hard for them, you know, and we end up probably losing in a scrap. But I'd rather lose in a scrap than play some boring rubbish and then concede two goals in the last five minutes because our defence has their legs stuck in cement. That second goal, I reckon I could have defended better. And my ability in soccer, I played one term of inter-school sports soccer and played left-back the whole time. 
And I reckon I could defend that better. Just step up. Not good enough from the Socceroos tonight. Not good enough from Graham Arnold. Graham Arnold needs to go if they want to make the World Cup. It is plain and simple. If they keep Graham Arnold, they will not make the World Cup. Plain and simple. FFA, make the big call. Get in someone who plays the Australian way and uses what is an undermanned side and a not good enough side. Give them a fair dink and crack and win over the Australian people. There was bugger all people there tonight, and I wonder why. Because you play a boring style of football that does not work when you've got average and below average players. I'm sorry, when's the last time we actually scored consistent goals? 2018 World Cup, we scored from two penalties. And I know this segment might be going on a bit longer than I anticipated, but these are my honest thoughts. And there's a disgrace with what's happened to Australian soccer. We had success. Now, we're not even going to make the World Cup. All right, that is the end of Episode 7 of Aussie Talks. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did making it. It was quite a passionate podcast, I won't lie. Uh, Maybe broke out into a bit of a sweat during that rant time, but I wanted to really get my point across when it came to the match review panel and also the state of Australian soccer. Also want to provide a quick tribute uh, to Ash Barty. Uh, You couldn't write the script any better to go out when you win the Australian Open. I also wanted to inform a lot of my listeners what it came, uh, what you need to consider when you enter the ballot box. Um, if you are voting in a couple of months' time when it comes to Albanese and where he goes. And like I said, I used that uh, example. He is playing peekaboo and just runs away uh, when anything gets tough and what's he going to do in a national crisis. But either way, uh, that is just my view on that sort of stuff. Also looked at my top three best AFL players I've seen and I'd love for you to get in contact and let me know what your top three is. That was my whole point of this segment to create a bit of controversy. So let me know on the socials. They'll be linked below who your top three best players you have seen. But without further ado, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and uh, I'll see you next time. Cheers.